1: The devil wants to use fear to manipulate you out of a relationship with God. He wants to use fear so that you will not grow and advance in the Word of God.
0: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Tanko will be here in just a moment with today's message. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Well, due to the evolving situation with the pandemic, we currently cannot invite you to visit us in person at the worship service. But would like to invite you to a live stream from the church held each Saturday at 11 o'clock. You can go to ReachingHearts.org slash video. That's ReachingHearts.org slash video to watch that stream. And we'll let you know when that changes. Let's get underway with the conclusion to The Great Escape. It's a part of the Genesis series here on Reaching Your Heart.
1: Christ is very clear. The abomination of desolation would be a threat to the gospel at the end of time. It would appear in the middle of the struggle for faith in the Middle Ages. In the book of Daniel, it comes after the cross of Christ and before the time of the end. In fact, it's nine verses after the cross of Christ, and it's ten verses before the time of the end. I mean, you don't have to be an expert at history to figure out what's going on. It's in the middle, the Middle Ages. The abomination of desolation comes in history. Now, in the book of Revelation, John identified the abomination of desolation as a city that sits on seven hills or mountains In chapter 17, he sees in prophetic vision this woman sitting on a scarlet beast with seven heads, and somehow they are interpreted as seven hills or seven mountains, and this woman is identified not as a world kingdom system, but as a city that has influence and dominion over the kings of the earth. And when he sees this vision, it horrifies him. She is a woman who will never be married because she has forsaken the opportunity to be married to Jesus Christ. She is a harlot like Israel became in the Old Testament, and especially the Holy City, when it forsook the faith given it by God. And just as Israel left Egypt for the promised land, journeyed through the wilderness, unlike that, this woman is at home in the wilderness. She will never get to the promised land. She rides a beast, and the beast in the context is the world kingdom system that has been seduced by her religious spell so that neither will go to the promised land. The beast is in love with the woman, the woman in love with the beast. A church-state union has been forged. In the book of Revelation, the harlot who rides the beast is called the mother of abominations. And that makes her, by definition, the abomination of desolation that was set up in the Middle Ages. Revelation 17, verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the great, mother of harlots of earth's abominations. I mean, John is very clear here. He is identifying this harlot with the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11. Now verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Dear heart, we have no idea what happened in the Middle Ages other than certain historical snippets that declare how horrific it was for the people who stood for Jesus. People who died so that we can have our Bible today. We talk about William Tyndale's Bible Foundation or the Tyndale Bible. He was strangled and executed because he had translated the scriptures into the English vernacular. There are others who died a horrific death because they spread the Bible as they moved as tradesmen throughout Europe. There are people one after another that only God knows who counted this world nothing so that they could share the world to come with their friends and neighbors. And the abomination of desolation was drunk with the blood of the martyrs. Revelation 17 verse 9, the Bible says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains in which the woman is seated. There's only one city on earth today that influences the world and it's political system that is founded on seven hills or mountains. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out which one that is. The Bible says that that religious city would be critical in end time events. And that that religious city would in fact corrupt the nations of the earth to prevent them from being ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation seventeen eighteen, And the woman that you saw is the great city which has dominion over the kings of the earth. John saw the abomination of desolation. It was a harlot church that seduced the kings of the earth in a city built on seven hills, and he marvelled greatly because the nations flowed to it like the river Euphrates, and it was staggering to behold. There's only one city in the world that fits that definition. In Daniel 11, the abomination of desolation comes between Daniel 11:22, which is the cross of Christ and Daniel 11.40, which is the time of the end. Let's look at it again, Daniel 11.31, let's read it one more time. Forces from him, the king of the north understood, which at this time is the new Rome, shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress, they shall take away the daily, literally, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. The Bible is clear. The abomination of desolation was put into place. It was not something that slipped in, it was put into place armies set up this city in the boot of Italy in the Middle Ages. In Ephesians 2.21, Paul is clear that the church of Jesus Christ is the temple of God that's right here on earth. And the church is the only temple here on earth that we can find after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And it is part intrinsically of the heavenly sanctuary. You cannot separate God's church from Mount Zion, which is free, who is our mother above. And so the church has always been vitally connected to the heavenly Jerusalem. The abomination of desolation in Daniel 11.31 is an attack upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Christ indicated, and the church of Christ in the early part of the Middle Ages. Jesus said in Matthew 24.9 that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall. Now, the tribulation of those days is not the final tribulation in the context, obviously. It is the tribulation that we find in Daniel 11.33. Take your Bibles and turn there. Before you do, let's review. Daniel 11.22 is the cross of Christ, right? Daniel 11.40 is what time? The time of the end. So the abomination of desolation is set up in Daniel 11.31 when? Before the time of the end or after the time of the end? Before... Before the cross of Christ or after the cross of Christ? After, which means it's the Middle Ages. Now we don't have to have PhDs to figure that out. We know the abomination of desolation is an historical attack upon the gospel of Christ. Now, and the days of tribulation are there too in Daniel eleven thirty three. So very close to this abomination of desolation, Daniel eleven thirty one. We have the tribulation that Jesus is talking about in verse thirty three, and those among the people. Who are wise? Daniel eleven thirty three, shall make many understand, though they shall fall by sword, by flame, by captivity and plunder. And these are the words that Jesus uses in Matthew twenty four and Luke twenty one. And those among the people who are wise shall fall, and shall make many understand, though they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. For how long? What does it say? For many days. So these are the days that Jesus is talking about, the days of the tribulation of the Middle Ages, when faith was on trial, when God's people were persecuted, when it moved from persecution of the thousands to persecution of the millions in the latter part of the Middle Ages. The captivity of the Christian church occurred in the Middle Ages, and many godly Christians died by sword and flame and plunder, and a city set up in the heart of Europe, took over the Christian church, just like Babylon took over God's people in the Old Testament. It was a crime to read the Bible for yourself. You know, it's hard to inspire people to read the Bible today. You just don't have time. If you had a copy of the Bible in certain places, you were killed for it. It cost your life back then to believe and to tell others that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. John Huss died for teaching that. Both Luke and Matthew's accounts say that following the persecution of the Middle Ages, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. So we have the tribulation of those days followed by the cosmic signs. And Luke is very clear that after these cosmic signs, the world will be plunged into a state of unfixable fear. And most Christians do not know that the cosmic signs have come and gone And we are now living in the world of fear that Jesus predicted. Let's just look at the historical flow together. The last recorded martyrdom in France, which was the heart of persecution in the Middle Ages, occurred in the year 1767. Christ said, immediately following the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon turned to blood. Immediately following the persecutions of the Middle Ages, believers in North America were experiencing a massive religious revival Known as the first that led to the Second Great Awakening. Historians tell us that there has never been a religious revival like this since apostolic days. They were studying not just the gospel, they were studying the prophecies of Daniel at the same time. And the Second Great Awakening, which shortly followed, was the greatest revival, as I said, in the history of the Christian church since apostolic times. These godly Christians were students of the prophecies of Daniel. They experienced the unsealing of the book of Daniel. They recognized the collapse of that church-state system in 1798. They knew that the time of the end had begun. And that's when the cosmic signs happened, just as Jesus said. After the persecutions ended in 1767, they were seen. On May 19, 1789, the sun was blotted out for one day over North America where this great religious revival was occurring. And it was interpreted rightly as a sign of the second coming of Christ. There is no present explanation for why it happened. Historians call it the great dark day. That night the moon hung in the sky as red as blood, fulfilling the description of Jesus' prophecy. The chickens and the cows went home to roost. The people everywhere were crying out in terror. It was the end of the world. The Massachusetts legislature closed because the end of the world had come. It was exactly what it had been predicted to be, a sign of Christ's coming. A few years later, on November 13, 1833, the largest meteorite shower in human history occurred. It lit up the night sky. It looked as if every star in the sky was falling for hours. And it was noticeably similar to a fig tree scattering its fruit. In fact, it looked so much like that that people of religious milieu knew that this was a fulfillment of Jesus' words. And all of these signs were understood by Bible students as they studied Luke 21 and Matthew 24 as signs of the end. Since the Second Great Awakening, the world has been a dangerous place to live in. In 1844 occurred the great disappointment of 1844, where Christians who felt that Christ was coming were bitterly disappointed. In 1848, four years later, one nation after another revolted in Europe, bringing in the old order to an end. And so nationalism was on the rise and religion was waning. The great revolutions of 1848 led to World War I eventually. World War I was followed by World War II. And World War II was followed by the Cold War. How many of you remember growing up during the Cold War? A feeling that somehow the Russians could nuke us and we could nuke them. And this term of mutually assured destruction was kind of like in the background. You know, my kids have no clue about this. They don't really have a sense of that kind of a context. It ended for us when the Soviet Union collapsed. The world lived in fear of mutually assured nuclear destruction. But when the Cold War came to an end, everybody thought there'd be peace on earth. It was replaced by 9-11 and the war on terror. Am I right? And the war on terror, let's just analyze the phrase, the war on terror is a war on fear, isn't it? We are living in the age of fear. That's what the war on terror means. And the war on terror is proof that Jesus is coming. Because Christ said after those cosmic signs, the earth would enter a state where the entire description of civilization would be one of fear. And shortly after that, Jesus Christ himself would return. Let's go back to Luke 21. Look at verse 25. He says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. Upon the earth, distress of nations. That occurred in the 1840s that led to the two great world wars. Upon the earth, distress of nations. In perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, which would indicate war. And then verse 26, notice what follows. Men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The tribulation days of the Middle Ages are followed by the cosmic signs in the Great Awakenings. The great dark day in the moon that turned to blood was followed by the falling of the stars in 1833. And the cosmic signs are followed in turn by the modern political and personal climate of fear we live in today. The great world wars are over, and we have a world of fear. The war on terror is a war on fear that cannot be won. In verse 26, Luke says, Men's hearts fainting them with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Have you felt a little bit of that fear this week? Maybe this month has been a hard month for you. Maybe you, as you look at your IRA, your retirement, and you look at the prospects of your children's education, you realize you can't figure it out. Dear heart, you are not alone because just about everybody else in this room is with you. We live in the age of fear. The threat of terrorists with nuclear weapons is the single greatest fear people in power have today. Wiping out entire cities with a suitcase bomb. The Greek word for foreboding that Jesus says, he says fear and foreboding. The Greek word literally means no way out. It's aporia in the Greek, no way out. We are living in a time of fear that no one can fix. There is no way out. Our time is the time when honest people know deep down inside that no one's smart enough to fix the economy. You can't print enough dollars on the U.S. press to fix it. You can't inflate us out of the mess we're in. There is a moral problem at the heart of human civilization. And we need help from the outside to fix the inside. Jesus said the age of fear would be followed immediately by the second coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds of glory. Are you waiting for some sign of the second coming in your life? Yes or no? If you're waiting, you've missed them. That's what I'm trying to say today. If you're waiting for God to show you something, to wake you up, we are right down into the age of fear, which is the very event that precedes the second coming of Christ. God's not going to give you some magical sign to make you wake up because you have your Bible. Dear heart, we should be studying the scriptures And setting aside ideas so that we can know the signs of the times in which we're living. You know, if you love your children, you love your family, hold them tight, hold them tight, and consecrate yourself to Christ and to God. Get the stuff out that messes you up for the second coming of Jesus. So what comes after the war on terror? What comes after this no way out fear that Jesus talks about? Luke 21, 27. And then... And that word then says it all. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. And as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. Verse 34, But take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a snare, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. But watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus said, pray that you might have strength to escape all these things.
0: Well, hang in there. We will get underway again here in just a moment with Pastor Michael Oxen tanko As I reminded you at the beginning of our program today, our live services where you can attend in person are currently on hold due to the current situation. But that could change soon, so stay tuned here for news on that. In the meantime, we are streaming a live service from the church that you can watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. If you have any questions about today's message, you can visit reachingyourheart.com. A copy of this message is available there in case you missed any part of it, as well as reachingyourheart.com lets you know about other things that are happening with this radio broadcast. Let's pick up again here where we left off with Pastor Michael Oxentenco and The Great Escape. Remember, if you miss any portion of this message, it's available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. Here once again, Pastor Mike.
1: The devil wants to use fear to manipulate you out of a relationship with God. He wants to use fear so that you will not grow and advance in the word of God. And he wants to use fear so you'll be so busy trying to figure out how to make it work that you will not be in the word of God in your life. Dear heart, when you pray, you don't have to stay afraid anymore. He says, pray that you may have strength to escape all these things. Jesus hears every prayer you pray. He hears every word you say on your knees. He knows your fears deep inside. He is the prince of peace. He knows the fear of losing your job. He knows the fear of the collapse of the dollar and your retirement tanking on Wall Street. He knows the weight of cancer, personal failure, and poverty. And He knows the fear that comes when you're struggling with addiction that holds you down like Velcro. He knows that. And he said, don't be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. In the age of fear, you need to lighten up so you can go home. It's time for men and women in the church today to stop drinking and getting drunk. I'm surprised to find how much social drinking goes on in the church today, in this church right here. Jesus said, if you want to be ready for the second coming of Christ, put that stuff away. Treat it as it is, a heavy weight that will keep you from rising in the clouds of glory. It's not okay to drink because it weighs you down for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, well, maybe in the Old Testament they did every now and then. You know what? I believe Christ is the one who inspired the Old Testament. If Christ tells us to stay away from it so we can be ready for the second coming of Christ, that's good enough for me. I don't have to become some expert on wine in the Bible to know that it just messes up my walk with Christ. Stay away from it. I'm telling you right now, when we prepare people for baptism in this church, we have to look at this. Because it is not fair to baptize someone into Christ who is not going to give this to Christ. But there are other things as well that weigh the heart down. If you're controlled by alcohol, you're not controlled by Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. If you're under psychological pressure, that's, drinking is not the answer for your life. If you're stressed out by circumstances, popping pills won't save your ills. And if you're worried, at the end of the day, the DVD machine, the home entertainment system, the fantasy novels, the video games will not renew your spirit inside. They will not help you to be ready for the coming of Christ. They'll keep you out of heaven. They'll destroy you inside. You know, it's not just the kids of the church who are into these video games. Adults are. Get them off the computer, dear heart. You have a golden time to study your Bible and get right with God. Today's the day, not tomorrow. It's time to get these things out of your life and fill your life with God's word and Jesus the Savior. Jesus is coming real soon. I'm not just saying that. It's obvious in Luke 21. The kingdom of God is near. Get rid of the stuff that weighs you down for the second coming of Christ because you need to be light enough to go home to glory. They're not the right medicine for fear anyway, are they? You can't keep yourself busy enough not to be afraid. Jesus is the only way to escape the trap of fear. Jesus said, escape the trap set for you by praying at all times that you will not be snared by any of these. Now, we have started a series in the book of Romans here in the midweek service. I'm surprised to see how few of the church family comes out for prayer meeting. You want to escape the end of time? Focus on small group Bible fellowship. If you can't make it to prayer meeting, where you can study in the middle of the week, if you can't make it to prayer meeting, come to prayer meeting and pray. And if your work won't allow you to come to prayer meeting, you find the time to find someone to pray with. Dear heart, our only way to escape is prayer. And when you feel like giving up, look up. And when you feel like cutting your losses, expand your vision and take risks for God because there are no risks with God. And you feel like everything is spent. Spend more for God. Because one day the dollar won't be worth anything. The dollar will lose its value this year. So if you have $1,000 in the bank, it's very likely it'll be worth about $800, 20 or 30% collapse of the value of your dollar. To do nothing is to lose it. It has value for God now. Use it for God while it does. And when you feel like everything is spent, spend more. Invest in the ticket home. Lift up your head and look high in the sky. Your redemption is drawing near. Dear heart, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And Jesus is the end of fear here. Dear Heavenly Father, no one here wants their house to fall, no one here wants their home to fail. And yet houses will fall and homes will fail at the time of the end. Father, I pray that we will take every one of us, the admonition of Jesus Christ, close to heart, that we are living in the age of fear. The coming of Christ is near. Lord, help us as a church family. Help us in our personal families' lives, in our own private life with you. Order every piece of it right for the second coming of Christ. And Father... We want to live forever with you. We thank you for Jesus, who is the payment for our sins. Lord, we don't want them. We don't want any of them. Take them away and take us to glory. Bless your people, Father, in the name of the one who died for them. Hold them fast and sure under his protective care. and Remove fear from this place, Father, for the second coming's sake. For Jesus' sake, in his name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart and The Great Escape. You can find this message along with many others online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Don't forget that the worship service is actually being streamed and we're not able to be there in person. We have to be there virtually, at least until this is all over with. Of course, I'm talking about COVID-19. But in the meantime, you can go to reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video and watch a virtual service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. Thanks for listening and as always we do pray that God is reaching your heart.